Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 414, a special bonus episode of the Virtual Couch. I'm Tony Overbay, your host. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today, it's installment number two of the live relationship question and answers with my daughter, Sydney, 21 years old, co-host of Murder on the Couch. And I really appreciate all the great feedback from the first one that I shared a couple of weeks ago. And trust me, as I did a little audio correction in this episode, I almost want to go back on my saying that I'll include them in a sequential order every week or two, because I really think that by the time we hit our fifth or sixth live, boy, we found our stride. And we just recorded, I think, our 13th or 14th one this week on on TikTok, but we still cover a lot of good topics today. We talk about narcissism, marriage, parenting, ADHD, addiction, you name it. And if you do like what you hear and you want to hear more or watch the videos of these live question and answers, please go to my Virtual Couch YouTube channel. And if you want to even do one better and watch them live, then follow me on TikTok at Virtual Couch or on YouTube or Instagram as we're going to start streaming them live on all platforms simultaneously. Without further ado, Let's get to this episode. This part, the beginning is so weird because it's like... Are we not? Is it not doing it? No, it's doing it, but like we're alone. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, hey, Sid. Hey, Dad. What's going on? How about these Kit Kats? <laughs> My dad has three little Kit Kats lined up in the front, like a little kid. Like, <laughs> Why is that a little kid? Like your candy, like for your reward or something. I did a good job in therapy today. <laughs> did you? How was your day? It was very good. I saw a lot of clients today. <clears throat> and you know what the theme, I feel like the theme of therapy was today? Mm-hmm. People that are learning to not have to react and manage other people's emotions. Don't, so don't <clears throat> like people trying to control yep. the situation when it's like they're not involved kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think that some, this, well, jumping into it. Well, all right. Do you think that some people like have kids to have control over something? Is that like a thing? I don't think that people would ever admit that. But if you really look at the concept of having kids in general, it's funny it, because it's a little bit a narcissistic, if you can say, because it's like, I am so amazing. I must replicate me mm-hmm. to then change the world. You're literally my kid. So that's kind of a thing. <laughs> Narcissist. <laughs> right. Yeah. I feel like today's theme was I had the, I call them the pathologically kind people coming in and they're typically in relationships with more emotionally immature or narcissistic people. And it's called the human magnet syndrome because the nice person's always going to do whatever they can to try to make the other person happy. And if the other person is like, they, they don't even have a strong sense of self or know who they are, then they are not going to be happy. So it's like, I need you to make me happy, but I'm not really sure how. So give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And then, nope, that's not it. So we do it a different way in a different way. And, and so then there's like no consistency in the relationship. Would, would a narcissist ever date another narcissist? Yeah, I call, I call it, yeah, I call it narcissist on narcissist crime <laughs> because they both are just telling each other how amazing they are. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fascinating thing. But, but then, could that work? Oh, it kind of does. Yeah. 
well, then we solved our problem. Well, it is funny because when I work with people and so another one of the cluster uh, B personality disorders is borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's the one where there's a book that's called I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. And that's the call of the borderline. Mm-hmm. I know, right? So like, I hate you and they, they're going to chase you around or threaten threaten you. But then it's like, as soon as you're like, I'm out of here. Oh my gosh, don't leave me. Mm-hmm. You're, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. And that emotional consistency is pretty wild. But a lot of times when the person gets out of that relationship, they will often feel so bad. And then I will say, no, there's somebody out there that was either they're so awesome that they don't even recognize the borderline or there's somebody that because of their growing up or their childhood or that they absolutely don't mind being told what to do, even if it is pretty inconsistent. And and so that's kind of true. There's people that are okay with that. Well, it's not that they're okay with it, but they maybe come from they didn't see any healthy relationships modeled. Yeah. So I kind of don't know any better. So it's all that they know yeah. to do. Which okay. is wild, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today we're going to be reading Reddit stories. Yeah. And, oh, we have some, like, actual questions from people who listen to the podcast and yeah. stuff. So yeah, I've cool. got a couple of them. I've got one about how to have a better relationship with your adult parent, which is a funny one. Not a funny one. So bless <laughs> their heart. And But it's a challenge because, heads up on that one, it's the kid that's saying i keep trying but my parents are not appreciating that so Mm -hmm. that's kind of normal and then if you guys have any questions let us know i was like way too scared to read the chat last time so i didn't but this time i can see it so okay my dad can't see it so you can bully him but don't bully me (laughs) is that like a because i'm old and i can't see joke that too i mean (laughs) (laughs) self-report okay i don't know what that means self-report you reported it yourself that's fair enough you've earned a kit kat I don't want your Kit Kat. Okay. Okay. See, and that's a I, that's a rejection. And as an ADHD person, I have rejection sensitivity. Dude, I didn't know I had that Do until not- I like. Well, I guess maybe I don't have it then. But I, that kind of clicked for me when I saw that because I'll find myself like texting my friends and I'll be like, "Are you sure you want to hang out?" Because like if you don't, that's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Like, There's what? fun fact is so I've got an ADHD podcast called Love ADHD and we were looking at the stats today. My co-host Julie and I and the most popular episode is the one on rejection sensitive dysphoria. So for the ADHD types, the thought is that you've been told no basically like over a couple of thousand times more than anybody else has by the age of about 12 because you're like an annoying little because you're annoying so yeah the, the yeah the no is even like not right now champ hey not oh, hey buddy calm down you never got that <laughs> i don't know but so then it's the anticipatory rejection so it's like you're so used to the no that you kind of go in like mm, they're probably going to say no anyway and so you're anticipating it. And that's where a lot of times the people that have uh, ADHD, somebody can just say when you're an adult, hey, um, maybe not. And you're like, geez, okay. But you don't have to yell about it. That kind of thing. Not that I've ever done that. Never. He's never yelled. What? Oh, yeah, it's all zen. <laughs> okay. Do you want to start with a story or do you want to jump into one of your questions? Or uh, do you let's do go? a story. I'm ready. Okay. okay. So I'm, I'm going to this blind. Hopping in. <clears throat> okay. Here we go. My dad showed... Wait. I normally interrupt a lot. You're very good at that. So I'm going to eat. Been this is why I did this. Second. I'm going to eat a Kit Kat. <laughs> whenever. I feel whenever like, I feel like we're sponsored. We're not. I'm going to eat this delicious Kit Kat. <laughs> we're so, so below sponsored. <laughs> know, right? It's so it's yeah, sad. Okay. okay. Oh, and I cannot. I tried. Do you see how long I tried to open this? Whole? Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Oh. Okay. My dad showed up at my house. Not me. Whoa. No, but I'm. <laughs> you're reading a Reddit story. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, my dad, Tony Overbay, no, showed up at my house after abandoning me and my mom for nothing. Okay. 
My dad showed up at my house after abandoning me and my mom for nine years. I, 24 female, have a very crappy father. He I'm cheated. impressed. <laughs> it says a bad word in it. says I. a swear. <laughs> Thank you. He cheated on my mom since I was two years old, and she didn't find out about it until I was seven. I'm going to move this closer to me. Okay. Do you want me to look over your shoulder? And she didn't find out about it until I was seven. They tried to get a divorce, but ended up just separating. And the court decided that I was only allowed to see him every Monday. Before that, he it's was... It's interesting. I'm not kidding now. But where it says they tried to get a divorce, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? What Like, what do you mean? So, a lot of times, I, and again, I know I'm just jumping in here with a lot of different things, but when... I think where we're going to head here is this guy is going to be pretty emotionally immature, have narcissistic traits or tendencies. And I think we're welcoming ourselves to the trauma bond. Mm-hmm. Whereas I work with people that they try to get the divorce. And then in this scenario, the guy is, well, I don't want one. You yeah. Know? And then there's sometimes there's not a lot you can do. They don't show up to the court dates. They don't, they won't sign the papers and everybody thinks, well, then the judge will do something about it. And I've been shocked in my profession by how many guys in that situation just don't like they just don't respond. And, and it isn't, I mean, the court can put like a bench warrant out or whatever, but I've had, I've got one lady right now that's on year four of trying to get her husband to divorce. Okay. That's insane. It's wild. I never knew that stuff until you, know, you start doing this. Cause you hear people say, oh, I just want, I like, I've, we've been like that. Exactly. Like we, the divorce is in <clears throat> process or whatever. And in yeah. my head, it's just like, I feel like you can just decide and then the next day you yeah. won't be together anymore. But it's kind of ridiculous that one person can say they still want to be in the marriage and then the other person has to say, like, I feel like it it's should be yeah. both people are in it or not. Well, yeah. And it's wild because if you step back and think of it that way, if someone is saying, I would, I think I want a divorce or I want a separation. The other person says, no. I mean, that right there is pretty darn controlling, mm-hmm. you know, and so then it's weird. Why do you want to be with someone that's, that that's doesn't want to be with you unless well, because, it's because you're controlling them? Yeah, and, and that's like you go back to the, again, back to childhood and that's that you are so desperate for an attachment to somebody that you'll keep it no matter what, even if it's control, manipulation. And that's why when somebody tries to leave a relationship like that, then all of a sudden they'll try all the, push all the buttons. Oh, I, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Or... I'm so sorry. And then that gets rid of their discomfort. And the other person says, finally, he said, I'm sorry, comes back in. And then it's back to business as usual. Yeah. And it's almost like part of them knows that they are a bad person and that they have to like fight to stay with this one specific person because they are not going to be able to get someone else unless they turn in on themselves and try to fix themselves. Which they won't. Well, that's a a challenge. Yeah. I know I always say that um, when I'm working with the emotionally immature or narcissistic uh, partner in a relationship, that they literally need another human being to know that they exist because they don't really have like their own sense of self. Mm -hmm. And so then they and then the immature way to have a relationship then is like they need to control because they're worried that if that other person has an opinion or they might even do something uh, on their own, well, they're going to leave. So Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that they that, that is a ridiculous idea or you were wrong or and that's what's wild so there can't be and i've had this a lot today too where somebody's just saying i feel like everything i say my husband is some person today used the word a contrarian do you know what that is Mm-mm. being contrary to i know i felt like you know contrarian good day sir i felt like it was like a that old english kind of phrase but it just means that she said it doesn't matter what i say he's like no i don't think so mm-hmm. and it's because a really immature person there can't be two different opinions so if if you have one then what the immature person thinks is then you are literally saying i am wrong 
And I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying my opinion. That's it's it. It's sad. It like makes yeah. me feel so bad for anyone who is has narcissistic tendencies because I feel like they are completely missing out on what yeah. a connected, healthy, really yeah. the amount of life experiences they're missing out on just because they don't want to like fix themselves is honestly really sad. But I always start with it. They don't know what they don't know, but it's the concept of how many emotional calories are burned and wasting time trying to figure out the relationship versus mm-hmm. just being in the relationship. And that, that one is wild because it, again, it's selfish for the partner that is controlling that it is like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, whatever that looks like. Okay. Yeah. okay. I'll leave another kick in. They tried to get a divorce, but ended up just separating. What if I like right now was like, what do you think about that? Tried to get a divorce. You did. I know that's what I'm saying. Like, what? but if I did that, that would be gaslighting. No, said I didn't do let's, that. Let's talk about gaslighting for 30 minutes. <laughs> hey, what does that mean? <laughs> I was making fun of you. I'm, I know. I'm just laughing because you were laughing. They tried to get a divorce, but ended up... Oh, no, he already ate his Kit Kat. <laughs> okay, no, right kidding. Okay. They tried to get a divorce, but ended up just separating. Are you trying to chew in I my was. ear? I really was. I, I'm so, that's immature. <sighs> they tried to get a divorce, but ended up just separating. And the court decided that I was only allowed to see him every Monday. Before that, he was never really around anyway, either at work or with his mistress. When he mm. was home, though, he was either sleeping on the couch or watching TV. Then we would all go out to dinner, which was always really quiet and awkward, and then we'd come home and I'd stay in my room for the rest of the time. When we would leave for work, in, when he would leave for work in the middle of the night, I remember that I would sometimes wake up and peek through my blinds to watch him drive away, then cry myself to sleep because I missed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at the same time, I didn't know how to be around him or really talk to him. I mean, that, for real, that, that like shows at our core, we're programmed to want a connection with uh, a parent. And that is such a trip because you've got people that are, I'm working with that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and they're still desperately waiting for a parent to say, good job, mm-hmm. champ, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like that's where you have to com- you have to take the title off of them. You have to completely oh, wait, okay, look at this is good stuff, right? That's my new that's interesting. What? <laughs> Do you get distracted? <laughs> I feel like in that situation you have to like completely take away the mom or dad title. And it's like, would you want to be friends with them? Like, if they weren't your no. parent and they were acting the ways that they were, like, would you want to be friends with them? And if it, that's not the case, then you don't need their validation. No, there's a, a concept that I know we've talked about before, differentiation, where it's like, it's the ability to separate your feelings and emotions from someone else, like how they are making you feel because of their immaturity or manipulation or that sort of thing. And there is a belief that like the ultimate person that you can differentiate from is your parent because they're the person that has the potential to make you feel not seen or heard or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And differentiation really just means if they're saying you're a horrible person, it's like the only, the only thing you, you don't have to defend yourself and you don't have to break them down because you can just take that data in. Maybe that's a bad example. Cause I, who's going to say, is there truth in that? No. Cause you're not a horrible person, but then it's like, okay, that this interaction with them is a chance for me to then take in that data and go, nope. So I don't even have to respond. Yeah. It's like healthy versions of differentiation. I had a lady today that was saying, it was funny because you start to see if somebody feels safe or not, whether it's in a relationship or, but I was, I had a lady in here and I didn't realize she's been a producer of films and stuff in the past. I had no idea. So she said, so I, I had a thought of some of a, something that you could do, um, you know, some content you could produce. 
And so then I noticed or the feeling I had was, oh, I'm really curious. So I'm, I'm open to that. But if it's somebody that you don't really feel safe and they're like saying, do you know what? You know what I think you should do? What are you thinking in your head? I zoned out. <laughs> You're, you always ask me questions when I'm literally not paying attention. That, Sorry. No, keep telling no, your no, story. This is the whole setup tonight. This is an intervention. Sid. I, I have ADHD you and, in, and you gave it to now. me, bro. I did. Okay. Keep no. I no. The best part is I've forgotten now. <laughs> Seriously. No, I can remember. You're talking about something that happened today. I know, but you know what's funny? In my job, part of my job as a therapist is like you're tracking the whole time, and so you try to pick it up where oh, you left off. We have a question. Okay, now Perfect you're all ADHD. <laughs> I was okay. just about to tell you too. Okay. Well, next time. <laughs> Can you walk through the, that was an intense snort. Can you walk through the thought process on a spouse that is a straddler? They aren't in or out. Oh yeah. What is that? Well, it's interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up something. I interviewed a lady uh, yesterday or two days ago, and she has her name's Kate Anthony, and she has a book coming out called The D Word, but it's talking about divorce. Did, oh. Okay. <laughs> you didn't say the swear word, but you're gonna go big on that one. Oh. nobody said that nobody said that but kate anthony who is an amazing person she was actually on general hospital and then Grey's anatomy i Uh, love that i know right and she's super fun and i'm going to release this episode soon but i'm gonna pull up her book and so yeah straddlers am i in or am i out and there's so many that's a great question because there's so many things that why people do that I see a lot in my practice that people want the other person to make the decision. And so oftentimes you'll see people saying, man, you deserve something better than this, or you could probably go find somebody else. And then it's nobody usually wants to call it as far as the relationship goes, because what typically comes with that is then the other person gets to say, I didn't even want the divorce. Okay. I need to find. I feel like if your partner's, if your partner looks at you and says you deserve better, oh. then you deserve better. It's like, really interesting, Sid. Yeah. But I, and I also know that this is so situational, like yeah. situation to situation. <laughs> but the first thing I want to say is if what we were saying earlier, you deserve to be with someone that wants to be with you, period. Yeah, you really like do. you do not, you shouldn't have to like sacrifice that. I, I often say, right, you can have uh, love or control in an adult relationship, not both. And control can be a withholding of a manipulation, not being willing to engage, that, that sort of thing. Okay, so here is, okay, <clears throat> in this book, it says, okay, here we go. She said, for many of us, sitting, sitting in the in-between is preferable to getting into a place of clarity. In her book, Untamed, Glennon Doyle calls this the choice between an uncomfortable truth and a comfortable lie, an uncomfortable truth and a comfortable lie. But then uh, my friend Kate says, you know, you can't continue on like this. But for many, the idea of finding out that they have to fully commit to their marriage or fully commit to leaving that marriage means they no longer get to sit on a fence that they've made their home and they no longer get to not know. So it's the fear of moving forward? Yeah, well, it's the fear of the unknown. I mean, it's and, and, and matter of fact, I did a podcast today on the virtual couch about certainty. And we crave certainty. We want to know. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what's going, what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Because if not, I know what it feels like right now, even if I don't like it. And so then people will sit in that place of not having to make a decision versus I'm going to make the wrong decision. But this even, okay, this goes deep too. Let me, let me do the old, if you, most of us, when we, we grow up and we, our parents meaning well, kind of say, here's the right way to do things. So what does that mean that everything else is? 
the wrong way. Hey, you pay attention. Well, so what does that mean that everything else is? But so, yeah, if, if you are told this is the right way, then everything else is the wrong way. And what's a challenge for that is that then if a, a kid's just being and doing, they're just doing stuff. But then if they're afraid that they're doing it wrong, then they're going to hear about it and they might get in trouble. And this is that thing where a little kid is scary seeing the big adult in their life that they care about that has been the person that's providing food and shelter. That if that person's upset, oh, that's scary. So then to a little kid, they might boot me out of the house because they don't know different. This is their caregiver. This is why it's so sad when a parent gets angry because that's a them issue. That's a parent getting angry to get rid of their discomfort. You need to do this. But then, so then if a kid feels like, man, I don't want to get it wrong because I need it to be right. Then they're looking for validation constantly from their parent. So they're not, they don't feel comfortable enough to say, this is how I feel, or this is what I think. Cause it's like, what if it's wrong? Then I'll get in trouble. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, you're stripping them of like all their real emotions. Like you're literally not going to know what they're ever thinking because they're going to be so scared of you. Yeah. And that's why we go, so many people, we go into relationships kind of like, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Because if I get it wrong, then you might think I'm crazy and you might leave. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's sad because you really want to find, you want to get a person to be at the point where, oh, I'm not wrong. I'm me. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm just expressing myself. And then I forgot the question. We're talking about shots. Well, yeah, but I think right? there, there's something, though, that you said something really smart. I do say things very smart a lot of the time. No. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so the straddle. Oh, I, I mean, I think it is the, the oh, fear wait, of the just, unknown. Just to interrupt you really quick. Yes. Um, Slater, he is giving advice, so you can ask questions. Wait, oh, <clears throat> oh, that I am? If, someone asked oh, yeah. advice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. debatable whether you should take it or not, but okay. he's giving it. <laughs> I, okay, all right. I think I should say something like this should not replace therapy or something like that. Yeah. But that was the part where we're so afraid of the unknown fear of not being certain that then we either want somebody. And this is a wild one too. We want somebody else to make the decision because then if it doesn't work, we get to say, oh man, they told me to. I find that this is where the difference of a life coach and a therapist is. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, but often the vibe is that a life coach is like, here's what you need to do. Here's the plan. Here's what worked for me. And then a therapist is like, oh, I'm, who am I to tell you what to do? Because mm-hmm. I need to help you get to a place where you know what you're, you take ownership or you do what you feel like is best for you. But then with the acceptance that there, yeah, there's going to be a lot of feelings that come along with it. Because the last thing I want, and people will say often, what should I do? And, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I don't want that power to then say, well, I think you should leave. And I'm like, okay, well, I was going to stay, but if you think I should leave, and I'm like, oh, no, I, no, you do what you want to do, you know, that kind of thing. So what would your advice to her be? Because I, I, yeah, it's like there's nothing she can do, right? And here's really, the part, though. It's like the hard. It is. The, the thing, one of the challenges is that if you're in a spot where you're wondering what to do, I just want to bring some awareness to the fact that that means the relationship isn't easy or healthy. So that's where I say I, I am a therapist doing it 17 years. I've helped, I don't know, 15, 1600 couples, and there are tools out there, definitely things that we don't know that we don't know, ways to communicate. And so if you're in that spot, I, I kind of sometimes feel like that's your own body saying, help, I don't know what to do. So get help. And the best thing is to go get help yourself. I do a lot of couples therapy, but I think that individual therapy is probably the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if, if the two of you haven't been in together, again, I'm, I'm going to say this from a place of experience as a couples therapist. Well, you really got to find a therapist that's been doing it for a while and can understand if one. And if, that's bald. And that's bald. I mean, that's so key. There are a lot so of studies important. that show that bald therapists. <laughs> see. Okay, but I don't even remember what I was saying there. 
No, oh, but, but what she needs to do though is is mm-hmm. it really is okay to go ask for help because I will say over and over again that you don't know what you don't know and that is okay. That's mm-hmm. all right. And and that is like a kind of more peaceful way to look at it. It's like maybe he's not a super bad person. Like he doesn't know what oh, he knows right, right. either. Yes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you deserve solid yeah. relationship with validate you shouldn't be begging for validation from really someone who should naturally love you in yeah. that way well and, and i what i appreciate you saying that is because I, I really do feel like when somebody is willing to admit they don't know what they don't know and they're open to going and getting the tools i mean and then practicing them then it brings up a lot of new data to work with mm-hmm. and i get to see couples that are almost like starve for the right tool because they care about the other person and they want to learn to communicate better. And so that's at least now they can rule out whether or not that was an option. But I will also say that going, and that's where we went back to that quote where you're going to now have to either commit to the marriage or commit to leaving the marriage Mm -hmm. because now you know and, and you see it. I mean, you see it in my office where I've got these this marital framework, four pillars of a connected conversation. And then if I'm trying to put that in place with a couple, either they're both going, okay, no, thank you for this tool. This is what you do. And we want to be able to communicate better. Mm-hmm. Or you've got somebody saying, I don't know. I don't know if I like that because he might have to take ownership of his own crap or he might have to learn to sit with some discomfort and, and have empathy. And so then if that is just something he's just terrified to do, then you'll see him say like stuff like, you know, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I think that therapist is an idiot or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's why I have like 500 podcasts out there. Because I want to say, it's not me just trying to validate you in the moment. You know, here's stuff to go look at on your own. Okay. So oh. one person, Amanda said, my boyfriend is mad at me right now. So I'm just stressing any advice. Tell us what, why is he mad at you? Like, is he being dumb or is it like a valid reason, you know? Wait, where's the, what's the question? Don't worry about it. Okay, and then this, this is the next question for you. Okay. How do you deal with a resistant spouse that won't engage? Okay, it's a great, so there's a concept like there's different attachment styles. You got anxious attachment, you have avoidant attachment. And so if somebody won't engage, typically they're more of that, that avoidant attachment style. So that's, that's something to take a look at. I mean, just to say if he's willing to self-confront, there, there's a lot of tools you can use. I, I had a session tonight talking with a girl about being anxiously attached. And that's the one where it's like, okay, is everything okay? And if, if he doesn't respond, then you're like, okay, I, I feel like something's wrong. And you constantly kind of need validation. That can be a little bit overwhelming. But the person that isn't engaging, actually, let me take a different angle of that. They're, when somebody gives that style, silent treatment or stonewalling or whatever you want to call it, it's a button that works, if that makes sense. Because if that person doesn't want to engage, it's because either, in my opinion, they either they just don't have the skills or the tools to be able to express their feelings or emotions, or they're making a lot of assumptions about whatever you're asking about. Mm-hmm. So then, and this is that part where I, I say we all start off emotionally immature until we get the right tools. So if you're saying, hey, I need more in this relationship, or I don't feel like you're there for me, if that person was had a more emotionally immature parents or they didn't see a healthy relationship model in childhood, then they are going to take that as I am bad, something that I am broken. I am shame. I'm a bad person. And that's where one of the best childhood defense mechanisms is when the kid just does nothing, doesn't say a word. And eventually the parents, OK, well, I'm. Ne- oh, hello. Sorry. <laughs> If I don't come back, sit. Are we getting, is this, are we getting, sorry, oh. I come in for cleaning. Oh yeah, okay? perfect, yeah, thank you so much. Thank okay. You. Okay. 
I guess we're here a little late tonight. It's the cleaning crew. Okay. That's so funny. And she's like, did we have a session? No, right? <laughs> so they're thinking, uh, I don't think I had a session at that time. Man, we were on a roll too. Oh, so then if the, that's that part where I can think of, I can think of a particular, I'm not going to name names, but one, not one of our kids, one of my kids. I'm not going to name names, but my daughter. No, but, it, but it's like, I can think of kids though, where when you're like saying, hey buddy, I'm that's frustrated that you did that. And they just sit there, don't say a word. And then eventually you're like, okay, don't do it again. And they just sit there and you're like, good talk. And you leave. It really is. It's a defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So that's where if I had you guys in my office, I would say something like, do you have the courage to say, hey, I really need you to communicate or I need you to engage. And I'm not saying that then you pull this as a threat, but it's that is, it, we're talking about that differentiation. That's going to bring up some feelings for you. And the feeling might be, I, I want a connected relationship. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. And so if I'm not getting it, then that is a him issue. It's okay to want to have a conversation with your partner. And so if they are unwilling to commit or engage, it's not a you thing. It's not that you're asking for too much. Yeah. So then one of the best things that somebody can do in that situation is then just, I always say, just go do and be. It's like, okay, I wish that you were, I'm choosing you. You are not choosing into the relationship. So I need to self-soothe, self-care. And, and that isn't something I'm going to do with you. What too, off, too often happens is that's also a, it's like a victimhood status. So then if the person shuts down, eventually maybe this person is going to say, Hey, you know what? Let's just hang out. Okay. Let's just watch some movies or whatever. And then that guy finally is kind of like, okay. And, and it's really just enforcing like what he's he doing. he gets away with yeah. it. He gets away with it without saying one word. And I can just not imagine how like horrible that feels being on the other side of that. I feel like mm -hmm. that was one of like the the most painful parts being in relationships that like I didn't want to be in anymore yeah. was like feeling like you want them to say something so bad, yeah. but you don't want to have to tell them to say it because no. then it's not real well, anymore. Well, that's the and, part. Like, that's hard. It is. Well, that's the part where because it, you it's you it's hard to not feel like I don't matter. Like I am. I guess I you don't care or I am unlovable mm -hmm. or and you're not. You're OK, but you do deserve to be in a connected relationship. And that's okay to want that. But yeah, that I have a client that calls it being nothinged. And oh, I feel like that one so resonates. And she talked about her ex-husband like would nothing her all the time. Ghosting them in person. It is, like, which is probably, it's worse that. because the person is literally right there. And again, that's one of the, it is a form of control as well because they are controlling the relationship by not engaging. Mm -hmm. and, and it's the easiest easiest, most childish form of control, right? Because yeah. you are doing nothing. There is nothing valuable that yeah. you're putting into this situation other than just like reacting like a kid. But I guess if you're saying it's a defense mechanism and it's from childhood, then yeah. it should be nicer. Yeah. But yeah. Great question. That's kind of fun. There's another. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Here's a good one. Are you a therapist to cope with your lack of hair? Is that all, <laughs> is that all you got? Thera oh, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> I feel like there's a movie called Roxanne that uh, Steve Martin was in and he played like a modern day Cyrano de Bergerac. So he had a really long nose and somebody was like, hey, big nose. And he was like, is that all you got? Let me tell you some of the better jokes, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'll go over a few of them. It is shiny and you powdered it before and it didn't work, right? <laughs> yeah, and don't worry. I have the whole setup here, you I guys. Know, I forgot to powder his head exactly. before this. And I will tell you, I never had facial hair before I got glasses. Okay. I felt like you have to have a line to be able to build the facial hair off of, which what? is kind of nice, right? What are you even talking about? Okay. Yeah. Do you ever know? This is interesting. Wait, what's the age gap in your relationship? Um, Do they think that we're together? Ew. <laughs> don't. 
Did someone actually ask that? Or says that, which is, like, I mean, yeah, I am 74 years old and Sydney is uh, 74. 13. No, this is my daughter. 13? Just kidding. I know you're somewhere around your 20s. Okay. Do you ever know what a couple, or do you ever know that oh, a couple? Oh, probably your daughter. You're right, Rob. Do you, thanks, Rob. <laughs> you're real, you're a real one, Rob. Do you ever know that a couple should probably just split up? What do you do as a therapist? That's oh, interesting. Cause that's like, a great question. What if they don't, what if they're not ready for that yet? But like, you know, they're not, they're not when they come in, they're not. And it's a, such a good question. Shoot, swallow your. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> You're Hello, hot air. <laughs> that was it means gross. I'm alive, Sid. I literally taste the flavor of your air. <laughs> Okay. It was horrific. Like that needs to be on a t-shirt. No. Okay, but it's such a good question because that's I remember in grad school when one of my professors said, You're gonna get to a point where you know, you really you know where things are headed pretty early. And it's almost gonna be hard to not inter interject your opinion. And which is fair. And I get it. And I remember thinking, no, because when you're a new therapist, you seriously are like, I cannot believe I'm sitting here and people are sharing their deepest secrets then you move into a phase where you're like what would a real therapist say and then eventually you're like oh i think i am a real therapist and then you have seen everything over and over again and i'm saying that in a good way i love my job but there's a relationship there's a therapist named john gottman that claims that he can predict divorce within i think it's the first 15 minutes of working with a couple and i used to think that's crazy and now i feel like oh, give me about 20. Really? you know yeah well it's because when they're in there there's a several different ways that people show up to therapy and one is where they both come in and they, they're saying, you know what, we just really need to understand better ways to communicate. We love each other and we just don't know. Or And then for me, a lot of people will hear my podcast and talk about marriage communication. And I have these things called the four pillars. And so they'll say, OK, I like those, but we aren't good at implementing them. That's a dream couple. That one. Oh, we're good. Mm -hmm. But what typically happens is that somebody has probably been saying, can we go to therapy for a while? Because they have felt like something is off in the relationship. And the other person is saying, no, we're fine. Or, oh, fine, I'll change. And then I call that, they, they've got a shelf life. Maybe give it a week, week and a half. They'll be paying more attention. But then they'll kind of go back to where they were in the relationship. And that happens over and over and over again. And then finally, somebody says, okay, I'm, I think I'm done. And then the other person will say, okay, fine, we'll go to therapy. I feel that when they come in the room. Because you can see somebody's like, hey, so glad to be here. I'm glad you took me. And the other person's just sitting there. I bet that's how it always is. It's like, like so much. What is the likeliness that both of them want to be in there? Well, that's unfortunate. Not so likely. And even as a therapist, and the reason I love that question is because if I were to say what I think, <clears throat> it, it is by definition, that's a me thing. It's a me thing if I think they need to, I see this coming. Okay, now, yeah. I can tell you that. I don't want to say like with 99% accuracy, <clears throat> I know where it's headed, mm -hmm. but who am I to say that they wouldn't be a couple that if they get the right tools, maybe that they, it can help. Okay. So then, yeah, you often know, and I will tell you, and I put an episode on one of my podcasts out about this that I would, I spent a lot of time on. And I feel like as a couples therapist for 15, 16 years, I want to say seriously, like the first 500 couples I saw, which was over a number of years. I didn't know what I didn't know. And you're just trying to give people hope. And there's a lot of research that says that people just setting up a couple's therapy appointment, that's like 40% of them show a increase in satisfaction in the relationship. But it's just because they did something. Because mm -hmm. too often we just don't do stuff. We worry and we ruminate and we overthink. Mm -hmm. So, and that's where you hear me say this on the videos and stuff, just do. And so a lot of times just setting up the appointment 
it will snap the other person in shape or, you know, it's okay, fine, I'll do better. Mm-hmm. But then, but then I, I like saying then the first 500, yeah, it's more of, I don't know, I'm glad you guys are here. Try to talk a little bit. And then I feel like the next 500, then I'm starting to learn tools but then I don't even know that I'm making it about me. I want them to be happy. I want them to succeed, which sounds great, but it's like, I'm making sure they leave the session and they, and I'm like, no, you guys, you did great. Like you, we got some things out there and they're like, okay. But then eventually they're going to go back to where they were. And I feel like the last 500 couples or so you're handing them the real tools and, and you might see more separations or divorces, but it's coming from a place of where if that person that had to drag the other person into therapy, that's where I start to say, okay, man, I don't want to tell them this doesn't often work, but it's because again, that would be a me issue. And if anything, the person who finally said we need to go, they need to, to rule that out in a sense. They need to think that they've done everything that they can do, but you see pretty quickly where, and I'm going to go with like the stereotype of the, if the wife has said, we got to go, the husband says, fine, I'll go, but I'm not going to I'm not going to like it or something like that. Well, that's a crappy way to go in there. And then as a therapist, you'll often say, okay, here's a podcast to listen to, or I'd love for you guys to practice, I don't know, but with some low charge topics about give me your real thoughts, that kind of thing. And then they come back and it's like, you know, in this scenario, I'm talking about the wife's, okay, I got, you know, I did it. And then the guy's like, you know, I was really busy this week and, and I meant to get to it. And they don't even realize, like, they want me to say, oh man, you're busy, but it's, you're going to lose your marriage. How is this not a priority? Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of, I call them leading indicators that kind of show what direction it's headed. But boy, you sure hope that when they get, when they get the right tools that they'll, they'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. How? Oh, there's Allie. Hey, Allie. How hi. do you, hi. How, okay, wait, we have two questions. Either how do you help an alcoholic <clears throat> or how do you feel about micro cheating? Mm, okay. I like both What about an alcoholic micro cheater? Okay. Go crazy. Yeah. Let's wait. Can we start with the alcoholic one? Cause yeah. I, I haven't talked to you. We haven't had that many like conversations about that. I'm curious. Okay. Tell me more. That's it. That's all. Oh. What do you, <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. Like, but how would you, have you had alcoholics? Like, oh, how, for sure. Yeah. How do you help? So, okay. That? So I, I, let me go down the path of, so I work with a lot of people that struggle with addictive behaviors. Oh, your batteries. I don't know if you're, do any of your devices, have they ever been above 20% or so? No. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Okay. It's a strong, aggressive snort tonight. Yeah. It is, right? It's breaking intervals. Um, okay. This is a fun one to talk about. A fun one. I mean, I, I enjoy my job. Alcoholic. Yay. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but so I work with a lot of people that struggle with any kind of addictive tendency, people that have uh, compulsive sexual behavior, impulse control disorder, gambling, food, alcohol, phones. And so phones, I'm totally joking. That's like an old man, dad, get off your phone, you know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. That's not even funny, huh? Uh, I'm not gonna give you pity laughs. Okay. <laughs> I'm real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so there's a, there's a behavioral component to like an addictive behavior, and then there's a cognitive or like a what's going on inside. And so a lot of people try to treat the first, they try to treat the addiction with, okay, let me, let me be real here too. Even the, like an alcoholic or, or an addict, I mean, there's like several, what are they, symptoms that really speak to addiction versus like unhealthy coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that I'm very honest the population I typically work with are people that are trying to lessen unhealthy coping mechanism. So if it's an alcoholic, they really do need help 
because that's those things where I could stop anytime I want. It's not a problem. And what's wild about that is, so there's, if you look at 12-step groups, because I've facilitated 12-step groups before, and they, they aren't really an evidence-based model, but they, but they are a thing to do and they help. They give a sense of community and that sort of thing. But the, the recidivism rate or the relapse rate is pretty high. Doesn't mean that they aren't helpful, but it's like you're starting to do something or to take action. And so if it's really alcoholism, it's not something that people t- can typically handle just on their own, go cold turkey or any of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, you know, that's where I like to say we're designed to deal with emotion in concert with another human. And so sometimes that, or no, that's where we need that accountability partner or the sponsor. But you really need to go get help from somebody that has the skills to help. There's a certified drug and addiction counselors. They're called CDACs. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, if you are interested in the helping profession, to be a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I mean, there's a lot of schooling involved. A certified drug and alcohol counselor is usually like a certificate program at a like a community college. And that is a that there's a big need there. But then they'll put you through a lot of there's a lot of programs that they're kind of helping with a lot of life skills. And because mm-hmm. where I was going to go with this earlier is so the work that I do and trying to help people turn away from unhealthy coping mechanisms is it's a lot of, I I call it voids. So people typically turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms when they feel less than. And I've identified when they feel like they're not not healthy in their marriage or their relationship or their parenting, their faith, their health or their career. Mm -hmm. And so what I find often is, is, yeah, you want to treat the the addictive behaviors, but you really want to start helping the person. And this is why I started doing couples therapy. Because a lot of times people turn to unhealthy coping mechanisms when they don't feel seen or heard or a connection with their spouse or partner, or when they feel like I don't even know how to parent my kids and they're out of control, or when they're struggling with their their faith community, or when they hate their job, or when they always mm-hmm. anticipated when I get older, I'll be in great shape, and none of those are jiving. So then they turn to the unhealthy coping mechanism to tune out, to get a dopamine dump or to check out. To make them feel like... Like mentally, they're where they want to be. Yeah. It's it's literally like drugs. Yeah. Like it's like getting that instant satisfaction Yeah, instead of turning it on yourself. But then it's hard because with alcohol, it's like addictive. And then yeah. you're waking up and you like, you know, like I just can't. And it's really, I feel like it is a lot harder with something like that. It, well, it is because what the brain does, we, none of us, we don't like discomfort at all. I mean, we talk about this all the time. Learning to sit with discomfort is actually pretty empowering because you can learn that I, I, I'm okay. But what happens with uh, most any unhealthy coping mechanism is that when we feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to speak to my spouse or I want to be more communicative or I see my kid going and doing things I never thought they would do mm-hmm. or I hate my job or whatever, then the brain's, we need a break. Mm-hmm. And then, and what's wild about like most addictive behaviors is it's what's like, but this is the last time. I'm, I'm going to do it right now because then mm-hmm. I, that'll make me feel I feel better that I'm going to do it because it's the last time until the next time. Yeah, that's kind of tough. There, yeah. Well, what do you want to do the next one? Oh, the micro cheating. I I'm curious what you think about that. Okay, I have an opinion. What do you think? Because this is one of those where, and I'm being honest, I'm going to sound like I'm doing the old man get off my lawn thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, there's a part of me that is started to as we've done more of these lives and stuff. Again, I've been doing therapy forever and I love it, but I don't work with a lot of newlyweds or younger couples or. So I, I feel like I haven't heard a lot about micro cheating until I don't know, the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. So what do you like? I wonder if this is something I don't even know enough about. But what, what do you know about it? Well, I don't. Micro means tiny, right? So it's with tiny people. Yeah, I feel like this is I'm kidding. I... Wait, really? You didn't see that? <laughs> no. <laughs> 
I feel like it's. I don't think it's black and white in any way. I think it's. Wait, 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 wait I want to. This is what I'm excited about. Somebody that is not a therapist is going. Your methodology is not sustainable. You must satisfy yourself or your. Oh, okay, that's fine. That's adorable. Okay. We're going to hell. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That's cute. Okay, go ahead. See you there. Microchair. Um. I think that I think it's just not black and white at all. I think it's situation to situation. But personally, I wouldn't. I don't want to. I hope I won't have to tolerate that. You yeah. know. But I. I don't. What do you think? I mean, and this is the thing where I recognize that um, I want to start by, hey, I know that I'm not the one that is the judge and the jury, and that people come into me and they do have a lot of thoughts around things that they want to do. So I do start from a place of. Hey, tell me more. I'm never going to tell you that's wrong, but I really feel like what what's at the core or the heart of the micro cheating, the desire to cheat. Because I really feel like it goes back to that. What do we do with our discomfort? Is it easier for me to go look for validation outside the relationship to get the quick dopamine dump so that then I can show back up in the relationship? Or do I need to confront the fact that is it that I want more from the relationship, but I'm afraid of rejection or I'm afraid that, yeah, the person will say no or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the things I appreciate being able to look at as a therapist is, okay, what is it that you're hoping to accomplish by that? Because if you're saying, well, I actually want my partner to be okay with it, well, that's, you need to have that courage or the, the ability to then ask that of your partner, but also to accept the fact that if they are not okay with it, that's okay. Cause they can have their completely different opinion as well. But what, I don't know. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I just feel like I'll give you, a, I'll go on a side note here for a second. And I think it's, well, can I yeah. beat you to that? Oh yeah, yeah. I've just been so jaded about cheating recently. Cause like a, a year ago I would have been like, absolutely no, leave him. Don't take it. But I just, I feel like it happens so much more often than you think, like in growing up and seeing like my friends' relationships yeah. and stuff. So I don't know. I, I feel like now I don't really even know where I stand with Okay. It. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I got to say, well, I like the, is it jazz? Okay. My jazz, my relationship case, uh, it was very overt flirting for 10 years and I didn't stand up for myself. So I appreciate that because I do feel like a lot of times people are, they're kind like of that. aware. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're aware that something's going on, but it is scary to say, Hey, I, I don't appreciate that. Or I feel like that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And because that's where the immaturity comes in and somebody says, no, I'm not, or I can't believe you think that. And then they make the, uh, the person saying it feel crazy. So yeah. And I yeah. feel like I get what she's saying where it's like micro cheating is almost harder because to confront them with something so small, it could make you look kind of crazy. Yeah. But in the same breath, like sometimes you have to trust your gut with those situations. Oh, yes. Okay. So like, I, I like the starting from the trust your gut. And this is what's tough too. And why I appreciate that is it jazz. Thank you. Is that this is where it, it, you know, those of us, probably me, even me trying to raise you and trying, we, we don't know what we don't know. This is where if you are raised, I think with us no, kind of with a secure attachment that you know that you are enough, you are okay that then you don't stand for that at all. And I'm not saying that with any judgment. I but feel like, I did stand for well, that, that's what so I'm that's saying. not no, true. No, no, that's I what I'm saying. I'm saying you, yeah. Like, I feel like we're only now starting to really understand what a secure attachment looks like. Because yeah. what that looks like is a parent being able to not make it about them. So a parent being able to then, from, from as early on as they can, it's about their kid. What do you want to do? How do you feel? What's for you? And not, ooh, I don't want you to do that because that makes me uncomfortable. Whatever it is. Because it goes back to what we said earlier, where now the kid feels like, 
okay, there's a right and a wrong. So I guess what I want to do is wrong. So that means something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. So then I can't voice my emotions because they might be wrong. So if I see my partner and they're flirting or they, I, I suspect something, ooh, I don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, but if you are raising your kid with, hey, you're just expressing yourself, tell me more. There isn't a wrong. It's help me understand where you're coming from. Here are my thoughts. Then they're going to not feel like they're, they might say something wrong. They're just saying it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's the part where it's, because I've had clients like that where you get them to that point And then if somebody is saying something that's manipulative or controlling, or they do trust their gut and they say it to their partner mm-hmm. and they say, no, you're crazy. Then it's like, oop, okay, well, we're not doing that. No, I'm not doing it. We are going to have this conversation. And I, you said you were going to be here. Now you're over here. Tell me about it. And so they, they're, that is that part where they do have that confidence that, no, I'm, it's okay for me to ask these questions. And if you are not, if you're spinning the conversation or gaslighting or turn around on me, that's a you issue. I'm not putting up with that, which again, that would be ideal. So okay. Jazz. Oh, anxious attachment. I didn't want to risk losing a relationship. Man, Jazz, that's, thank you. Cause the, the anxious attachment is a tough one. I was just, again, talking with a client about that tonight and it's, I'm a, I'm an anxious attachment and it, it really is. It comes from this place of, okay, I got somebody that likes me. I really want the, them to like me. And like, you like me, right? Or you like me? You're cool. Okay. It's been about five minutes. I don't know. You still like me? Is that all right? And then all of a sudden, oh man, I'm being a lot. I'm going to stand back. I don't want to be too much. And so, yeah, you don't want to then lose that person to the point of where it's, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But if it's the right person, you will never say too much, right? Like, yeah. I don't think. I would like to hope to believe that. Yeah. Oh, there's a good question there. Why are they always bald? I think that's probably talking about the therapist. It's actually part of the licensing process. And it's been one of the most frustrating things because I actually had a very large afro. And, and I remember when I was going to be a therapist, and I was like, really? I have to shave my head? And I remember we were all sad about it. You we guys were, were so broken hard. Because I used crying. to have these braids and I would like just walk around. I love shaking them. And one of my favorite things to do would get out of the pool and remember, I would do, hey, slow motion. You are a pasty like, white man Whoa. who did not have It would braids. like do all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, but if I have to be a therapist and I have to shave my head, that's what you got to do. And so I've been doing it now since I was 19. Two questions. <laughs> is it wrong to talk about love? Is it is truth? A child of love. Three questions. Is it wrong to... Ah, oh, what are you doing? Sam? I almost reported jazz. Sorry, oh. jazz. Three questions. Is it wrong to talk about love? Is truth a child of love? Life of truth or life of lie. I think I just had a stroke. You know, it's funny. I'm staring at the next one down. Herbinicious. And I'm thinking of like the Fergalicious. Fergalicious. Herbinicious. I don't really know what that means. Um, could you read that? Yeah, because I like the question. <laughs> Wait, oh, go back down. I can read it. Okay. Wish I had brought it up years ago. Thanks for the thoughts. Hey, thank you, Jess. Who's the therapist and who's the other person? <laughs> Your mom and your dad. Okay. Sydney. Oh, hi, Maya. Sydney's Maya. the therapist. I am the old man. You. No, I am the licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Hey. That was the problem. Else. It was bigger, obvious cheating. I would have stopped it. Yeah. So the micro cheating is just enough where you feel like, ah, I don't want to make it. Oh, I love this. And that's like where I don't want it to be weird, but make it weird. It's okay. It's not weird. Make it weird. Make it weird. <laughs> Isn't cheating, is cheating. Isn't cheating subjective and a matter for a fragile ego? It's a great question. This is a wild one. This is where I remember as a, as a therapist. Um, is that your wife? No. Continue. How dare you be offended? It's my daughter, <laughs> though. Okay. Is it is che- so cheating is a really I mean, again I am for the record I am anti cheating. Shocking. Right? The bar is low. 
But I've got a, and I want to tell you, I've got a podcast out there on my Waking Up the Narcissism podcast that's done oddly well, and it's called Bridge Partners. And it's because I end up running into two things. If I have a person that's in a relationship with an incredibly narcissistic or emotionally immature person where they feel like they've lost their entire sense of self, they're going crazy, they aren't seen and heard, they're sequestered, which means they're they're isolated, they're controlled, that then oftentimes they are, I feel like this is where their their soul, their psyche, their body, you know, keeps the score. It wants to be seen and loved so bad that they often will find a connection outside of the relationship mm-hmm. and they never planned on it. That wasn't the goal. And then that's where that can be this, oh my gosh, I am lovable, that kind of thing. What do you mean they never planned on it, though? Because they definitely planned it. Cheating? Oh, no. Well, I don't think it starts that way. But that's where I feel like, so when you got the, like in a narcissistic or emotionally immature relationship, Mm -hmm. there's the love bombing. And then there's the, what I call the pathologically kind person. So they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. This person is wonderful and amazing and everything. And it's because this person is being whoever they need to be to Mm -hmm. look like everything. So at that point, that person, the narcissist, the immature, is getting all the validation they need. So it, it, it is the honeymoon period. But then now when the when they've been together for a little while and now all of a sudden he can't keep being on his game all the time. And so then all of a sudden here's where the cracks start to come in. Wait, I thought you said you liked. I even can't think of anything. What's something that somebody would say they like? I love, I would say, Jane Austen movies. And then she's like, oh my gosh, I've never met a guy that likes Who's him. Who's Jane Austen? I know, it's like a fancy author that does British stuff. So then, but then yeah. he's like, I love, oh, I love Jane Austen. Are you kidding me? And then a year into it, he's finally done with it. She's like, let's watch a Jane Austen movie. He's like, who's that? You know, and she's like, wait a minute, I thought you said you liked him. He's like, no, I didn't. So now we got gaslighting, we have the love bombing, she's starting to feel crazy. And so now all of a sudden this guy is lost. He, he doesn't need the love bombing anymore. He's ready for what's next. And so that's the one where, okay, now if that's cheating, I mean, so that's where I'm saying during the love bombing phase, I don't think anybody's like saying, oh, I can't wait till this is over because they feel like I will get this validation forever. And then this person thinks this is my dream person and they'll never change. But then we start going through life and things happen. And rather than having mature adult conversations and feeling heard and seen and understood and going through life together as two people having a shared experience, it's control and manipulation. What? What is like love bombing? Can you go into that? Because yeah. I feel like I feel like in every relationship I've been in, it has only ever been love bombing. There is a lot of so love bombing I, going around. I don't know what like like a regular. I know it's so wild, Sid. So what I see often in my practice, it is that thing. So when we are all, everybody is. So here's what I like to say: is that we get into relationships, and and pretty much everybody is is codependent and meshed. I like to do the thing with my hand because it's like we want love so bad that we, well, let me even back it up. Remember how earlier I was saying that we, we grow up and we're told by our parents there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And that's that's even good parents because they think we're doing the right thing. No, you don't do that. So then, but a kid is just doing stuff. And so then when they express their emotions, a lot of times they're told, oh, not that, or that's wrong, or here's how you do it. So it's almost like natural for a kid to then stop externalizing their emotions and they keep them on inside. And so inside, now we're in the what's wrong with me and I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing rather than I'm just saying a thing. Now get into a relationship and now it's I don't want to say the wrong thing because I like this person or I want a connection. So you hear the vacuum? Yeah. So I don't want to say the wrong thing. So then I'm so then I'm this is where people are just playing it like they're not being their authentic self. They're not saying, oh, I hate that movie or I don't like that food or that restaurant drives me crazy because they're so afraid that, oh, well, that person will leave. Mm-hmm. 
So then that's where the person says, do you like, I don't know, do you like steaks? And the, the girls, I don't, but I like him. Then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm a fan. And then if he's, well, what's your favorite cut? She's like, man, you name it. But she's just, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so then the love bombing is, so then he's like, this is great. And so both, sometimes both people are just, they're saying all the things, well, we jive, everything's perfect. We're on the same page. We get along with everything. And it's because really there's almost this, this subconscious fear to say the wrong thing. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I go back to this like Jane Austen stuff. And, and it's, then like, it's like, oh, what if we aren't perfect for each other? Yep, or what they, if they, they don't want me yep, because I'm different, which is also just like. It is. And that's where, it, it, you know, in a perfect world, somebody's showing up and if somebody's saying, do you like Jane Austen movies? And if the guy's no, I mean, there was one with zombies and I did like that one. Pride and Prejudice with zombies. And then she's oh, that's horrible. Well, then, okay, I, that's a her issue. If, if the guy is like being his authentic self or if he's like saying, hey, do you, do you like football? And she's like, oh, man, yes, I do. And if she's football is like the one with the oblong ball, mm -hmm. but she's afraid to say it. But if she's not really, but, but here's the thing where if she's saying, but tell me why you like football. What do you like about football? Because I kind of like you. That doesn't mean we have to be on the same page about everything. Yeah. You had a question? Um, I forgot it. It was something about love bombing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? It was something about love bombing. Oh. Are you pro or con? Con. Oh, so do you think that there, when the love bomber is bombing, mm -hmm. <laughs> do you think that, do they mean anything they say or are they just wanting to hear it back from you? Is yeah. that part of it? Or I mean, it's about the validation. Do you so think they're like, aware that they're doing it? So this is, is the big, this is the big question. I, so this is where I get into that concept of confabulation, where they're creating a narrative almost in real time that's, no, this is exactly who I am right now. Mm -hmm. But five minutes later, I might change my mind and then I might be somebody else. And that's why when you're really with a emotionally immature or narcissistic person, the narrative changes constantly. So then if it was, and, and actually when I work with a lot of women that have been through divorce and they get back out in the dating world and they're so afraid that they will, they're so afraid they'll do it again, that then, you know, do that, what again? like get into another unhealthy okay, relationship. Yeah. And so I, I give this one example where there's a woman, I think she was in her fifties and she's in the dating world. She goes on a date with a guy and he says something about his adult kids, man, they're the greatest. They are the, my pride and joy. And about 30 minutes later, then he says, man, my kids are kind of driving me crazy. And she said that was the moment where go back to the love bombing time or the I don't want to say the wrong thing time. And she said, I felt my myself still wanting to say I must have misunderstood. Like I thought he said that his kid, his adult kids were great, but I must be wrong. But instead now she said, and I call it introducing positive tension, where then she just said, oh, hang on a second. I thought earlier you said that your adult kids were amazing now you're saying they're not and she said she almost watched him think Ooh, which mask do i need to put on mm -hmm. and then he finally went with oh no i was yeah, i'm kidding no when i'm saying they're bad i mean like oh they're so bad but they're great and then she she said i felt like at that moment i i knew i had all the data i needed so that's the so the more authentic you can show up and have the courage to say oh this is what i like or that or i don't like that period. And I don't have to defend myself and I can be curious about him. Well, tell me what you like about it. Then you're going to really start to find more emotionally mature partners. And I mean, if I want to be like funny about it, it's the love bombing part. They're super attractive because they seem super exciting. And I can remember this lady that we used to joke. And, and I said, she'd been on a couple of different dates where she said somebody, they have a plane and they're like, what are you doing for lunch? Let's fly to Reno. When she's like, it's amazing. And now she's, that's a little bit much. 
And so that person ends up being more about their things than just, hey, why don't we, why don't we learn to connect first? That mm-hmm. kind of thing. But yeah. Say, oh, okay. That's a really interesting. I had a wife say she thinks she is a sociopath and I was glad it was honest. That's, that is, that is the thing. There's a couple of, there's a book that's amazing, Life of a Nonviolent Psychopath. And there's like more and more information coming out around. You've got a narcissist, a sociopath, and a psychopath. I feel like you gotta say, oh my, from The Wizard of Oz. Did you ever see The Wizard of Oz? Lions and Tigers and Bears? Oh, oh my. my. Thank you. But it's interesting because there's a sociopath is more of it's a brain thing. It's they literally, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. Like I, I've had a, an interaction with a sociopath where he was, he had, there had been some abuse and, and I was talking with him and he was like, well, yeah, I hit her, but she was trying to get around me. And I remember thinking, okay, that's, that's not a reason. And he said, well, you would have, if you were in the same spot. And I was like, no, no, I wouldn't have. And he's like, have you ever been in that spot? So calm. You know? oh, and I remember thinking, guys. and then, but then the psychopath, now we got a little bit of that sadism. Now it's, Ooh, I want to hurt the other person. Psychopaths like, Oh, that this happened. I mean, the narcissist, like, I, I didn't do that. You did. Are you born a psychopath? The theory is that, yeah. You're born that? The theory, yeah. The theory is like the psychopath, sociopath is more of a... What does that mean for life? Like, are there just bad eggs? Like, There's, there's a, there's a fascinating just... article in the Scientific American a long time ago about something about... Maybe that's the life of the nonviolent psychopath. It's a lengthy article. I did a podcast on it a while, like a long time ago. I should probably do it another one. But it talks about it talks about this neurologist. I think he was at the University of Irvine, and he was doing brain scans, and he had a, a control group. So he said, "Let me get all my family brain scanned, and then here's these guys in the prison." And so then the control group were his family, and then he has some that I think 30% of at that time, they were saying the prison population he was looking at was believed to be psychopath. Mm-hmm. Then he gets the control group, and he's like, whoa, one of you guys is a psychopath. In his family? Yeah. Then they break the control group, and it's, oh, it's him, you know? <laughs> the guy? Yeah, it's a great book. Whoa. And, and then, so then it kind of goes through his just detachment. But then he didn't know. He didn't know that no, he was. No, it was a trip. And then he's like talking about it with his family, and they're like, oh, yeah, you totally are that. You, you totally do that stuff. And, and then Can he Can you had, be a good person? You can, yeah, I mean, you can be, like, he identified that he had had uh, a serious, I think he grew up Catholic, he had had serious scrupulosity, like religious OCD, and it felt just intense shame and guilt. Feel that. And just, right, and just felt like, uh, uh, it's like, I'm so sorry to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but anyway, so they they just, so he had, he felt like this combination of the nature and nurture had happened. But at the end of the article, the reason I'm telling that is, and I, I, I could be making this up. This is where I want to own up to. I haven't read this article in a long time, but I ended up not putting this part in the podcast because I'm reading that all that stuff and I'm trying to say fun things, fun things about the psychopath. But then at the end, it talked about like a belief that up to the age of 12 or something that there's a, he almost viewed it as like these switches and there were like 1200 of them or a thousand of them that through different life events and then your genetics, your, that almost these switches are flipped. And if you had enough of them in a certain way, he was claiming that you could almost identify a kid with those traits or tendencies before the age of five or six. And so then the ethical argument was, he was saying, so what if you could let a teacher know in the classroom and then they could make sure they're aware, I don't know, not give them scissors. I don't know what they, they were saying, but then he was saying, but if you told somebody that, Hey, uh, don't worry about like here, put that table together uh, with the psychopaths. People would like be terrified yeah you know so it was really interesting yeah i feel like the name that we gave that like the 
feelings around that word psychopath are like uh-huh. very aggressive yeah but oh yeah could can, are there some people that like only have it like what well, yeah 25 or like yeah, is that a thing know. i mean no uh, i mean everything is considered to be somewhat on a spectrum, on a spectrum. yeah yeah okay we probably should wrap things up what time is it I really have to pee. So. And I, I know, and I have clients in the morning. But yeah. hey, this was a, a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Nobody's born a Nobody's sociopath. Nobody's born a oh, sociopath. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'll have to get back to the people that have written the research. That, all right. What to do <laughs> if the moon sign is a rising sign? What do you to know do that if stuff? his moon sign is my rising sign? Isn't that a good thing? I don't know. Doesn't that mean you guys are like... Yeah. Oh, hey, what's connected? the podcast? Thank you. It is... This is Virtual I've Couch. I've got a couple. The Virtual Couch. you should watch Murder on the Couch. Murder on the Couch. Didn't I do... Virtual Couch is uh, episode 404 today. Waking Up to Narcissism. I just did episode 99. Both of those are in the top 200 of all mental health podcasts uh, out of the 60,000 podcasts in mental health. And, and we're going to yeah. have one out, but I just have literally taken 10 years to edit it, but I swear so it exists. Yeah. It's a fun one. And we talk about cheating and we talk about... Koala bears. That one already came out. Yeah. You can watch that one. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Oh, thank you, Penny. That was very nice. It's oh, thank Penny, you, Kate. Gal. You're the man. Or Don't person. assume. I know. Do look at it on my back. Can I get us canceled? I know. Are you just going to stare at everyone? <laughs> How long until everyone leaves if we just look at them? That's a lot. Don't do that. <laughs> You're going to lose fans. We gained one when I did that. Your supporters are not going to do that. Hey, thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll be back another time. Wait, I like when you do it because you look boomers. Like, okay, because I don't know where to hit. This oh, is so chuggy. Watch oh, everyone. Okay, I'm going to do it like a champ. It's like when your grandma's trying to get off the FaceTime call. Oh, I missed it. <laughs> okay. Very calm. <laughs> grandma's trying to get off the FaceTime call? Wait, I got to do my glasses like this then. <laughs> oh, you got to do this in your nose. I got it this time. The, the numbers are going up when I'm trying to, to quit. Okay. People love you. Oh, yeah. Somebody said you're gorgeous. That's so nice. Or wait, is it me? Don't worry about it. <laughs> they were probably talking about you. Oh. <laughs> wait, they said the girl is so gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Now I feel like every time I'm going to push, there's more people. Well, do you have something to tell the people? I do not. Tell them something about therapy. This is their first time seeing you. Oh, okay. I will say this. Let me tell a very serious thing. And I really do mean this because today I had a client that was, man, now here we are joking around. I'm going to be very real because I I have somebody today that for the first time felt like they could open up to me about feeling like they were so miserable in their marriage and in their life that they really felt like they didn't want to be. And, and it was like the thing where somebody will say to me, I'm not suicidal. They'll say that because as a therapist, you really got to watch that. And you're looking for things like suicidal ideation and that well, sort of thing. Well, if they say it, don't you have to like yeah, call yeah, someone? You, yeah, you can break the confidentiality to report mm-hmm. that. But what I've got, a, I've got this theory and that I really do believe that the brain is a don't get killed device because the brain wants to survive. You know, we want to be heard and seen and loved and all those wonderful things. So that's really at the at the origin of the genesis of anxiety is that it's like, hey, here's a warning. And so we can let that kind of go a little bit, get a little out of hand or we worry about things that may not or most likely won't ever happen. But then if we still aren't taking action in our relationships or our lives, then sometimes uh, we can then go toward depression. And then it, and then I say that where we go from there is the I don't care if I get hit by a meteor concept where I'll have people that are saying I'm not suicidal, but I just don't want to be here. And I, and then that's where I start saying, man, your, your brain is saying to you, 
we got to do something. We need help. And, uh, and maybe we don't know how to ask for that help because there's, oh, I can't remember the guy's name, Kevin something. He's a motivational speaker and he's one who survived a, a suicide attempt off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. And he talked about when he, it was a miracle that he lived, but he talked about when he let go, his first thought was like, oh no, I didn't mean to do that. And so I really feel like when somebody gets to that point, it's their own brain saying, we need help. We need mm-hmm. something to do. We I'm not something to do, go play games, but we need, we need to do something. We need help. We need uh, somebody to almost reach out and intervene and say, I see you and, and I care. And that's the stuff that just breaks my heart because you find so many people there in that spot that just are wanting connection. They want to be loved. They want to matter. And, and sometimes it's almost like it takes that for somebody to then say, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. And I remember being on an interview once and saying that I feel like sometimes my job as a therapist is, can we get somebody to be able to find a real genuine connection or to be heard or loved or seen before we get to that point where we feel like we don't even want to be. So anyway. So that was beautiful. Thank Tony. you. Go Wait, see Should we end help. it? Should help. we end it on this last one? Because I'm curious what you have Oh, to that was nice. He was at my school. His speech was moving. Thank you. For real. That's um, really nice. Yeah. There, there was one that said therapy versus medicine. What does better for a person? And oh. I'm super curious what you okay, have to say. I, I, I love the question because I was one who, <laughs> shockingly, was unaware of my adult ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so, and part of me, when I was starting to, and, and I started feeling like, man, am I depressed? And then I, and then I look more into it and some of the symptoms of undiagnosed ADD are depression because I wasn't getting a lot of things done. At that point, I had a book due. My podcast wasn't finished. I had bought my podcast equipment and it sat with it for two years and then like nothing. Not enough people know that that's a symptom of ADHD. I know, it's wild. So then I ended up getting that. I getting I get the, the diagnosis and then the medication was like a game changer and, and it's been amazing. And so... Man, this one, I have a theory I call the emotional baseline theory. And what that is, is when you're feeling amazing and your emotional baseline is high, you're making certain decisions, all the things that come in on a day-to-day basis. And then when you start to feel down or less than your emotional baseline lowers, those decisions, everything's still coming at you at the same place. Mm-hmm. But the lower your emotional baseline is, the the worse you feel, the harder it is to make these day-to-day decisions and it can just feel so overwhelming. And sometimes when you're even trying to help people, they they don't have the emotional bandwidth or the baseline isn't high enough to even access the tools to be able to do what they need to do. Yeah. So I often say that medication, I think, can really help raise the emotional baseline to get up to the area where then they can access the tools. Mm. So I'm a big fan of medication plus therapy because sometimes the medication helps you get to a place where, okay, I can start to, to do the things maybe that I can learn in therapy and And so then the more you then use the tools, the higher your emotional baseline. And so then if you finally feel like, okay, I want to get off the medication, then you know the tools now. And yeah, you might get a little dip in your emotional baseline, but you maybe you have enough of that, that the tools are strong enough that then you can be okay. Mm -hmm. What I really feel like happens a lot of times is we're so afraid maybe to take a look at medication, which again, I want anybody, I want to meet somebody where they're at with that. But then it's almost like they're so afraid to even do that, that then the story we tell ourselves is, well, I don't want to be on it the rest of my life. Well, I don't want that person to feel like they feel Mm -hmm. either. And so then sometimes it's, I mean, for me, once I got medicated and now it's like things have been really, really good. Now I'm like, I really don't mind taking medication if somebody says, well, I don't think you should keep doing it. Okay. That's a you issue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So So what do you think though? Cause like in a perfect world, everyone could do therapy and get medicated, but like, obviously like both of those cost money. So yeah. w- would you 
would you suggest that they go the like this to a psychologist like that route first? Or that's the medicine one, no, right? Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah. Like, would you suggest the medicine part first or the therapy? That's part a great first? question. You Maybe start with medicine? one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because that can know. bump that baseline up. Yeah, I think that's a really good, a really good point. I was gonna. I thought you were going a different direction, but I appreciate it. And I was gonna say the. If you are looking to go to therapy and you can't afford it and maybe your insurance doesn't cover it, honestly, Google low cost therapy near me and almost everywhere has like really low cost. We should therapy. make a TikTok about that. Okay. No, we should. Cause that one of the, but is it just some like old man in his garage type no, of vibe no, or are they, they like, do they have like good yeah, people yeah. with like reviews? Yeah. I mean, that's where like, you know, that's where I did my, some of my internship was at a, at a low cost therapy clinic. Mm-hmm. And that's where there is. Cool. There is really good therapy, but then it really does help just to have somebody there that can hear you and listen. So, all right. I see. Oh, and I appreciate that too. This Jay was on meds and got off him and now feels better than ever. That's awesome. For real. That's why I think it's so fascinating where I have worked with people that have had all the experiences. And so it's, it's totally a you thing. And we're even at the point now where there's starting to be like a, a genetically recommended medication where you get a full like genetic test and then certain things, you, know, you metabolize certain things more than others. And, and I know that I didn't have that. So it was a little bit more of a shot in the dark, but hopefully we're going to get to this place where we can know which ones work or don't work or that sort of thing. And, but yeah, there's your mileage may vary. Somebody said how long we've been together for. Oh, she's my daughter. So 21 Dude, years. Dude, I'm so horrified that I know. that's like going to be... I know. Did you know that was coming? No, and that's going to be a reoccurring issue. Okay. Do I need to wear a hat that says, her dad? No. Because then I can cover up my baldness. Ah. <laughs> Apparently, that's a scary thing. Okay. Uh, all right. We'll powder it there up we go. next time. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I'm going over here. Okay. There it is. Wait, that is it really right there, right? Thanks, Bye, everybody. Guys. Uh, Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.